Support for this podcast comes from San Francisco International Airport. At SFO, you can discover award-winning flavors and unique shops all before takeoff. Learn more about what's at SFO at flysfo.com. Hey there, this is Brittany Luce from NPR's It's Been a Minute. KQED's podcasts like The Bay, Bay Curious, Mind Shift, Right Nowish, and more all tell the stories of the Bay and beyond with reliable, human-centered journalism. They aim to inspire, make you think, entertain, and expand your understanding of the place you call home. Here's how you can support podcasting at KQED. Showing your support is easy, and you can join Brittany in supporting KQED Podcast too at donate.kqed.org slash podcast. That's donate.kqed.org slash podcast. From KQED. Good morning. This is the California Report. I'm Saul Gonzalez in Los Angeles. Last night, there were more protests against racial injustice and police abuse across the state, and many cities and counties imposed curfews on residents. Here in Los Angeles, large demonstrations began peacefully in several areas of the city. In Hollywood, one senior LAPD officer even took a knee with demonstrators to show solidarity. But like over the weekend, the protest then turned violent with people breaking into stores. Police made several arrests. The footprint of the protests also continued to expand. For the first time since the demonstrations began, large protests were held in L.A.'s San Fernando Valley, home to roughly two million people. With more about that, here's KCRW's Benjamin Gottlieb. Hundreds of demonstrators descended on Van Nuys Civic Center Monday, home to both L.A. County offices and a federal courts. It was a communal atmosphere, the diverse crowd sharing water bottles and snacks amid a muggy L.A. afternoon. But many local business owners were not taking any chances. They'd seen the destruction that befell downtown L.A., Long Beach, and Santa Monica the past couple days. Many hastily drilled plywood slabs into their door and window frames for protection. Car dealers emptied their lots. Restaurants closed for the day, all in anticipation of trouble. As the afternoon wore on, several businesses in this mostly immigrant and lower-income part of L.A. were ransacked. They stole petty cash, electronics, and medicine from Kovacs Care Pharmacy just off Van Nuys Boulevard. A cell phone vendor, a jewelry store, robbed. Amid the chaos, officers with the LAPD had a hard time telling protesters from bystanders, and at one point mistakenly detaining a pair of shop owners protecting their business. For the California Report, I'm Benjamin Gottlieb in Van Nuys. More than 1,500 people were in the streets, many hurling rocks and bottles at the police or anyone else, some attacking the cars of people, white or Negro, who just passed by. That's archival news tape from the 1965 Watts riots. South L.A. again was convulsed with violence in 1992 after a jury acquitted LAPD officers who'd beaten Rodney King. But in this week's protests, South L.A. has been quiet. Community leaders in Watts say they welcome any peaceful protests that might come to their area, but they won't tolerate violence or vandalism. KPCC's Robert Garova has more. Stuart Carter Jr. was on his way to the dry cleaners with his Sunday best slung across his shoulder. He told me how he felt about how South L.A. has been calm during the protests. Yeah, well, good. Amen. It's a blessing. Carter had just crossed the intersection of Florence and Normandy, 
the epicenter of the Riding King riots. About half a mile away at Dag Rider's bicycle shop, owner Daryl Gaines said he thinks protesters and the looters who've come at the same time have steered clear of this area because he and others are working hard to take care of the people here. We encourage the kids to do good in school, so I think that has an influence on the neighborhood to protect what we have here. Gaines' son, Darius, said he hasn't joined any of the protests, but he has friends who have. We have to protest places where other people who are outside of our community can hear us and actually understand what's, what's been going on. We've been dealing with these racial issues for hundreds of years. For the California Report, I'm Robert Garova in Los Angeles. Until the protests and unrest of recent days, we were reporting pretty much exclusively on the coronavirus pandemic and the toll it was taking on the state. But even though our attention has shifted, COVID-19 is still a big danger, and large groups of people gathering together and shouting, say a demonstration is a good way for the virus to spread. John Schwartzberg is a clinical professor emeritus at UC Berkeley School of Public Health. He hopes protesters can exercise their constitutional rights while wearing masks and giving each other space. So the real worry with this is that when people are crowded together and yelling, lots of droplets are being expelled. And those droplets will travel some distance. So a gathering of people together like this, yelling loudly with no masks on is a perfect way for this virus to transmit. Swartzberg adds that it's not just demonstrators who need to follow social distancing rules, but law enforcement as well. Lots of cops and National Guard personnel patrolling cities during the protests aren't wearing masks. Swartzberg says it could take up to three weeks before any health consequences of the protests are reflected in new coronavirus cases. And it's not just health professionals who are worried about the hazards of demonstrating during a pandemic. Many organizers are, too, and they're taking pains to remind protesters to take precautions. Kat Brooks is co-founder of Oakland's Anti-Police Terror Project. She spoke with the California Report's Mary Franklin Harvin about how she's thinking about these risks. Kat Brooks says police violence feels like more of a threat to people of color than coronavirus does. You're telling me to be worried about a virus, but I can catch a cop's bullet any day. Still, her group, APTP, is encouraging demonstrators to take the measures they can to protect themselves and their communities. I'm in the same way that we're the ones getting killed by law enforcement. We're also the ones that are catching and dying of COVID at higher rates than anybody else. And we will be the ones whose lungs the virus will impact. We're the ones that end up in jail. And so I, I do, I feel like it's, it's, you know, it behooves organizers to do what we can to protect people without policing them. Brooke says those involved with the movement need to be thinking now about how to seize it to make demands that will qualitatively improve the lives of Black people for the long term. For The California Report, I'm Mary Franklin Harvin. In order to give people the chance to protest while staying safe, on Sunday, the APTP organized a car caravan demonstration in Oakland. In the wake of George Floyd's killing, a coalition of California prosecutors is pushing for a new ethics rule to limit law enforcement's political influence. KQED's Holly J. McDeed reports. Former San Francisco DA George Gascon is running to take Jackie Lacey's seat as the top prosecutor in Los Angeles County. Activists have accused Lacey of not doing enough to prosecute police after officer-involved shootings. Law enforcement unions have pumped a lot of cash into Lacey's re-election bid. Gascon says prosecutors should not take money from the very police departments they're tasked with investigating. The influence or the appearance of influence based on that money 
further erodes the moral authority of the entire system. That's why Gascon and prosecutors around California are calling on the state bar to ban prosecutors running for office from taking cash and seeking endorsements from police unions. San Francisco DA Chase Boutin says the ties between prosecutors and law enforcement unions is part of the reason so many people don't have faith in the criminal justice system. And it undermines trust and contributes to the feeling of outrage and powerlessness that so many communities feel in these use of force cases. Police unions in San Francisco and Los Angeles responded with statements describing Gascon and Boudin as political opportunists who are only interested in advancing their careers. And Gascon's opponent, Jackie Lacey, issued a statement saying silencing the voices of labor unions sets a bad precedent. For The California Report, I'm Holly J. McDeed. In San Diego, the death of George Floyd has led to a tangible change in policing, a ban effective immediately on a controversial chokehold technique. The California Report's Raquel Maria Dillon has more. Law enforcement experts call it a carotid restraint, and it involves an officer applying pressure to a person's neck until the suspect temporarily loses consciousness. Critics say it can lead to injury or death and is used disproportionately against people of color. San Diego's police chief David Nislight acknowledged that the city's African-American and Latino communities have been concerned about the chokehold for a long time now. When you look at something and something is getting people so angry that it's leading to confrontations, you have to wait. Is it worth having possible fatal encounters because of this? Um, and the answer is no. The San Diego Police Department says the carotid restraint was used about 70 times last year. The city's Republican mayor, Kevin Falconer, supports the ban on its use. For the California Report, I'm Raquel Maria Dillon. And finally today, there's a sort of open insurrection among employees happening at Menlo Park-based Facebook. You might recall that a few days ago, Facebook founder and CEO Mark Zuckerberg caused a storm of criticism for saying that unlike Twitter, his company would leave up incendiary posts from Donald Trump about the protests against racism and police violence, including one where Trump used the words, when the looting starts, the shooting starts. Here's Zuckerberg on Fox News. I just believe strongly that uh, that Facebook shouldn't be uh, the arbiter of truth of everything that people say online. Um, I think in general, private companies probably shouldn't be, or especially these platform companies, shouldn't be in the position of, of, of doing that. Now, several Facebook executives are publicly criticizing Zuckerberg's arbiter of truth stance. Ryan Freitas, director of product design at Facebook, tweeted, Mark is wrong, and I will endeavor in the strongest possible way to change his mind. Another Facebook executive wrote, inaction is not the answer. Facebook leadership is wrong. There are many other comments in a similar vein from employees at the social media giant. Zuckerberg's response, no change in his position, but he says Facebook will donate $10 million to fight racial injustice. And that is the California Report for Tuesday, June 2nd, a production of KQED Public Radio. I'm Saul Gonzalez in Los Angeles. Be well and stay safe. Support for the California Report comes from the California Earthquake Authority, urging Californians to prepare to survive and recover from the next damaging earthquake. Learn more at earthquakeauthority.com. Eric and Wendy Schmidt, whose Fund for Strategic Innovation supports transformative ideas that benefit humanity while protecting the natural world, recognizing through science the interdependence of all living systems.
and water heaters only, specializing in the repair and replacement of water heaters since 1968. Licensed and insured, open 24 hours a day, every day. Learn more at waterheatersonly.com. Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR. Hey, it's Avery Truffleman, host of Articles of Interest. And I've got to say, I've been a fan of KQED ever since I was a little kid, and I would come out to San Francisco to visit my grandma. It was just what we'd always turn on every time we got in the car, every time we were making dinner and turning on the radio. It was always KQED. And then over the years, I've become a massive fan of KQED podcasts because this is local reporting at its best. These are answers to questions you've always wanted to know, interviews with exciting, unusual voices, necessary journalism, all told with love and care and artistry. And did you know that a majority of KQED's funding actually comes from members? It's just people like you and me supporting the programs they love while also getting access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. If you want to sign up and be a part of this amazing community, visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to become a member today. That's podcasts with an S. Thank you for listening, and thank you for your support. Hi, I'm Sasha Koka, host of the California Report magazine. Every week, we bring you stories about what connects us in the giant, diverse, golden state. Because what happens in California changes the world. I love this place. We were once seen as, like, the place to be California. The land of milk and honey, that's where you go to Sunshine State, but we just have challenges right now. KQED's California Report magazine. New episodes drop every Friday, wherever you get your podcasts.